Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, this is Carla Unseth with Building a Bridge to God's Word. So over the past few months, we have been doing an overview of the Bible, looking at how all the storyline of the Bible fits together, and we are going to continue that today. So up to this point, we've really looked at the primary conflict of the Bible, and that is that God created humans at the beginning with perfect peace and perfect harmony, but that was broken when sin entered the world. So the rest of the Bible shows how this conflict is resolved, how God solves the sin problem, restores humans into relationship with himself. So we're looking right now at the Old Testament, and every story of the Old Testament does one of two things. It either increases our longing for God's restoration, or it gives us hope as we see God's plan unfolding, or some stories even do both. So when we look at how God's plan has been unfolding, we've seen several different stories that really show that plan. So first, Adam and Eve. God promises Eve that a son from her line, her family line, will rescue the world. We see following that, God instituting a covenant with Noah. And that shows that the solution to the sin problem will come through a covenant based solely on himself. So then we see later another covenant where God actually promises to make things right. And that is an unconditional covenant with Abraham, promising that the chosen redeemer will come through Abraham's family. God reiterates this covenant to Isaac and Jacob. And then we continue to see God's care for the family of Israel through one of Jacob's children, and that is Joseph, when a famine threatens and then God sends Joseph ahead to Egypt to preserve the Israelites from this famine. But of course, we know that the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, but this is actually also part of God's plan because we see God radically rescue his people from Egypt. And this really shows to them and is throughout the Bible reiterated as proof of God's unfailing love for Israel. He rescues them out of slavery. He makes a covenant with Moses, but this is a conditional covenant saying that the Israelites will participate in the blessings of the covenant if they obey, but if they don't obey, then there are curses for their disobedience. But we saw right away that obedience was very difficult. So the very first attempt that the Israelites made to enter the promised land, they did not obey and they were sent out to wander in the wilderness. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And that's where we pick up today. We're going to start at the beginning of the book of Joshua and the end of the wandering in the wilderness. And what's interesting is that as the Israelites attempt to go into the promised land again, there's a lot of parallels with the story of Moses. So Joshua being commissioned, Joshua is commissioned as the leader of Israel after Moses dies, and it's very similar to the way that Moses was commissioned. 
Again, Joshua sends spies into Jericho, just as Moses had sent spies into the promised land. And also, we have the Jordan River being parted so the Israelites can cross over. It's a little further in the story, but pretty similar to how the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. But what we see this time is that it goes right. The Israelites trust God for their victory, and Jericho, the very first foe that they had to face going into the promised land, is defeated. So we see another interesting facet of God's plan in the story of Jericho, and that is the story of Rahab. So Rahab is a Canaanite woman, but she's heard of the God of the Israelites, and she's willing to trust him for her redemption. So, as a result, she's not destroyed with the rest of Jericho. She's saved and she's taken into Israel. If you look at the genealogies of Jesus, you'll see that she actually is in the family line of Jesus. So, this shows us that God's plan, ultimately and all along, was for all people of the world, not just for the Jews. So we'll talk in a minute about the Israelite command to kill all the Canaanites because it might seem, that might make it seem like God hates the Canaanite people. But here we see that that's really clearly not true. If God really hated the Canaanite people, then he would not have put a Canaanite woman in the family line of the Messiah. So instead, what we see is that God's plan always was for all people. After the story of Jericho, the book of Joshua goes on to show a lot of the battles that the Israelites fought against the Canaanites in order to take possession of the land of Israel. This is their promised land. And often, when the Israelites go into battle, they're commanded to completely wipe out the people of a certain city. So now we'll take a minute to consider that. And I think one of the big questions people ask is, is this God commanding genocide? And I think that we can see the answer to this when we think about the reason that God commanded the Israelites to wipe out these Canaanite nations. So, first of all, side note, we also know that the command to wipe them out was probably hyperbole. There's really a genre of war language or war literature that is written around the time of the Bible, and it's uses similar language, often saying things in hyperbole, like kill everything or kill everyone, when that's not really necessarily what was meant. But even despite that, even if it was a command to wipe out everyone, when we look at the reason, we see, first of all, that it's not racially motivated. So as we just said, God's heart is for all people, and that includes the Canaanites. And in fact, the law that Moses just received makes a lot of provisions for foreigners living among the Israelites. So God never intended for ethnic or racial purity for the Israelites. Instead, what God wanted was moral purity. So the Canaanites living in the land were known for their detestable practices, and they were bad. If you study this period in history, it ranged from violence to sexual perversion, even to child sacrifice. They were just a people marked by sin. But even then, God in his graciousness had given them time to repent. So if we think back to the Abrahamic covenant, if you look back to Genesis 15, when God is making his promise to Abraham, he tells Abraham that they're going to go to a foreign nation. And then he says in Genesis 15, 16, and they shall come back here, talking about Canaan, 
In the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So basically what this is saying is that God was already watching the people of Canaan. He was giving them time to change and to repent. And that time they could either use to grow in holiness or to grow in moral corruption. And that's really the direction they went was growing in moral corruption. So another objection people might have is, well, they didn't get the law. Moses didn't give them the law. So how are they supposed to know? But if we look forward in the Bible to Romans, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 tells us that God's written the law on our hearts. So in other words, he's placed a conscience in every human heart, and that will lead us to the truth. So the Canaanites didn't have the excuse that they just didn't know the truth or know God's law because that is in every person. Every person has that inner sense or inner consciousness of God and of the law. So God did give them the opportunity to repent, but they didn't do it. And really what we've seen so far in the podcast is that this is the condition of fallen humanity. We all deserve judgment. We all deserve God's judgment for our sin. And I think that maybe the judgment of the Canaanites, it seems so extreme to us, but really it is a reminder of how serious our sin really is. And it also serves to make us long even more for a solution from God. So then let's go back to the book of Joshua. So we have the Israelites entering the promised land and Something interesting is that it seems like maybe the promise to Abraham is being fulfilled. Here we have a great nation and they're entering into the land. So here in Genesis, it said that God would make Abraham into a great nation and he would give them land and he would make them a blessing to all people. And so, in fact, if you're reading the book of Joshua, there's a huge section at near the end, chapters 13 through 22, describing the division of the land. And it's a little hard for us to read it, but to the Israelite readers, this was a huge thing. This was saying, look, God's promise is being fulfilled. But we also have to remember that at this point in history, the Israelites are under two covenants. They're under the Abrahamic covenant, which is an unconditional promise from God, but they're also under the Mosaic covenant, and that is a conditional promise of blessing, which hinges on their obedience. So do the Israelites obey? That's the question that we're left with at the end of the book of Joshua. And Joshua's final commission is a reminder to the Israelites of the blessings that they will receive for obedience and of the curses that they'll receive for disobedience. So we move on to the book of Judges, wondering what the answer is going to be. So before we look at the book of Judges, one of the things that I think is really interesting while reading through the Old Testament is that on the one hand, we're seeing God unfolding his plan, but on the other hand, you're kind of seeing God systematically demonstrating the things that we humans think will work to solve the sin problem that don't actually work. So, for example, we have pre-flood anarchy. Clearly did not work. Tower of Babel, you have humans banding together to directly try to overthrow God. Also does not work. We also see other nations, such as the Canaanites that we just talked about and Egyptians that we saw earlier, trying to create their own gods. That doesn't work either. 
So under Moses, the law is introduced and we begin to ask the question of, will the law save people? And actually, that question continues to be answered through the rest of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. If you look at the book of Romans especially, it really talks about this question. Will the law save people? But we are going to look specifically at different ways that the law is mediated and will these different ways work, ways of mediating the law. So we start out with Moses. And so the Israelites have a unique form of government. They have a leader, but the leader is really more like a mediator between them and God. So essentially what they have is a theocracy, a government directly by God with his agent to mediate between them. And Moses, as an agent of God, had a very close relationship with God. And we see that in Joshua as well. But when we turn now to Judges, we see the system kind of disintegrating. And it's a result of two things. First of all, the mediators with God, you kind of see them becoming further and further away from a personal relationship with God. And then also, you see that the people are becoming more distant from this miraculous escape from Egypt, and they're beginning to forget. They're beginning to forget who God is and how he miraculously saved them. And the result is that we see in the book of Judges a cycle emerging. And that is that the Israelites have peace and prosperity. They, it's looking good. They have the land. Looks like the promise is being fulfilled. And they forget God they begin to sin. They begin to follow the evil practices of those around them. And then God sends someone, another nation, to oppress them. So they are they're oppressed. And finally, they cry out to God to be rescued. And God raises up a judge to save them from their oppressors. And the judge saves them, and that leads to a time of peace. But inevitably, during that time of peace, they again forget about God begin to serve other gods, and the cycle begins again. So it seems that having a theocracy, God, as a somewhat distant ruler, mediated through the law and through the judges, doesn't work. So we're going to have to ask another question, and that is, is there a better way to mediate the law, perhaps through a king? So that'll be a question that we'll look at next time as we move into First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. But actually, before we look at that, I want to return to this question we asked of, is the promise being fulfilled? And what we see in the book of Judges is that the Israelites never really enter into the rest that God promised them. They have the land, but they're continually oppressed. So it isn't the solution that we're looking for to the sin problem. But we also see during this time another glimmer of hope, another small revelation of God's plan, and that comes in the book of Ruth. So the story of Ruth takes place during the time period of the Judges, and you probably know the story of Ruth, but a little recap is that there's this Israelite family that moves from Israel to Moab to escape a famine. And they have two sons. The two sons marry women from this other land, but the husband and the sons die. And one of the wives of the sons, her name is Ruth, decides to go back to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Once in Israel, she begins to care for her mother-in-law by going out to the fields to harvest grain. 
she ends up in the field of their relative Boaz. And Boaz, as we know, is a righteous man. He admires Ruth's faithfulness and he decides to redeem her, take her as a wife. And so that brings honor back to Naomi. It brings joy back into her life and it brings some hope into the story. And then we also know that Boaz and Ruth have a son and this son is named Obed. And here's where we see a sign of the promise. So Obed is the father of Jesse and Jesse is the father of King David. And King David is Israel's greatest king. And we will see later that God makes a covenant with David, a huge covenant of hope with David. So here in the story of Ruth, we have a little glimmer of hope, a little bit more of the unfolding of God's plan. So next month, we will move on to the beginning of the kingship in Israel. We've seen that the law on its own, mediated by judges, is unsuccessful. It cannot solve the sin problem. So now the question is, will a king be able to mediate the law in such a way that it will solve the sin problem and bring people back into a relationship with God? So I hope you will join us next time to find out. And thanks so much for listening to Building a Bridge to God's Word.